Well, this past week, I had a chance to hear the story, read the story of Jackie Wallace. Uh, If you're like me, that name really means nothing to you. But if you were from New Orleans, that name might mean something to you. Uh, Jackie was a football star. Now, he never played for the New Orleans Saints. He was actually, in the 60s, a high school star, so much so that he got a full-ride scholarship to the University of Arizona, where he ended up becoming an All-American cornerback and kick-return specialist. That led to being a second-round pick by the Minnesota Vikings, who he helped lead to two Super Bowls. He also ended up helping play for the Baltimore Colts, as well as the Los Angeles Rams, another team with whom he went to the Super Bowl with. But after that Super Bowl, the Rams cut Jackie. And Jackie found himself not knowing what to do with his life. And so he returned back home to New Orleans, ended up getting a job at an oil production company. And surprisingly, he actually began to make almost as much money as what he made in football. However, the new job lacked the discipline that an NFL team and an NFL schedule brought. And suddenly, making this money, but not having the the discipline, he began to become addicted to alcohol. Well, then, in the wake of his mom passing, a cousin introduced Jackie to drugs. And that began what Jackie calls the vortex of darkness. Jackie ended up losing everything. His job, his home, his relationships. And this went on for a couple of years. Until one day, a news photographer had been told that there was a homeless camp under a certain bridge, and they thought that this might make a good story. And so the photographer went to find this homeless camp, and he didn't find a camp. He found Jackie Wallace. And as the photographer began to talk with Jackie, Jackie says, you know, you should do a story on me. And the guy's like, "Uh, okay, why? And in Jackie's mind, he's thinking, maybe I can somehow make some money off this so I can buy more drugs. And so he says, because I've played in three Super Bowls. Well, through that friendship, Jackie ended up becoming clean. He got a job again, and he actually got married. And it looked like his life had totally turned around, ran a news article on it. The whole city kind of celebrated their star who had been at the top and hit rock bottom was now doing great again. Until about 10 years later, when one day Jackie and his wife ended up in a huge argument. And Jackie, because he had a temper and a huff, he left and he went back to drugs. I will post the story of Jackie Wallace on the Riverwood Facebook page for those that you want to continue, because it goes on from there. Jackie's life is a series of highs like Super Bowls and lows like homelessness. But as I read it, I couldn't help but notice that when Jackie felt really good about who he was and what he'd accomplished, if he thought about the, the Super Bowl rings that he had, if, if he thought about, you know, the, the, the times where his family was supportive or when he had a wife or he had a job, he was doing really, really well. In fact, he was helping other people overcome their addictions. But then something would happen and he would suddenly feel like a failed loser, like the guy who got cut from the team, the guy whose wife wanted nothing more to do with him. And in those moments he would just turn back to the addiction that took everything from him. Identity is a powerful thing. How you view yourself is going to affect what you do. 
And so if you have an identity that's positive, like you see yourself as the type of person who has won Super Bowls, who has a good job, who has all these things in life, it's going to have a positive impact upon your life. Your, your relationships are going to be stronger. You're probably going to have a better marriage. You're probably going to be a better parent. You'll probably be a better coworker. You'll be more likely to attempt things and try things and experience new things. All because it comes from an identity where you feel good about you. However, if you feel like a failed loser, you're not about to go and try something new because in your mind, you've already failed before you even began. And you probably aren't going to be the best spouse or parent because you're going to just think that they really don't care about you. And you will probably unintentionally sabotage those relationships or even sabotage yourself. Identity is a powerful thing. Now, there are fields, psychology, counseling, self-help books, where their aim is to help you not have a negative identity, but they want to help you come to a positive identity because they know that truth, that where your identity rests is going to affect the things that you do. And I think that is great. I think it is noble. However, oftentimes, psychology and counseling, what they're attempting to do is kind of like a macro photo. If any of you are familiar with photography, a macro photo is where you take a close-up of something, like an insect or uh, you know, maybe a flower, and it brings out incredible detail. But to, in order to get that, you have to have an incredible shallow depth of field, which means the things around become blurry, and you do not see the broader picture. Oftentimes, psychology counseling, they're trying to help you make a beautiful picture out of your life. And I think that's good. It's golden. But sometimes they're not quite seeing the bigger picture. Here's, here's what I mean by that. As the Jesus follower, I believe that when God made Adam and Eve, he did not create them with an expiration date. He, he did not make them to have, you know, 60, 80, 100 years and all right, that, that was good. No, when he created them, it was to be an eternal relationship. However, that eternal relationship was broken when Adam and Eve rebelled and ate of the forbidden fruit. That's what we saw last week. It's called the fall. And so when they, when they brought about the fall, death entered the picture. Death was the penalty for sin. So when death entered in, the eternal relationship was broken. But God has a response. The response was Jesus. And when Jesus went to the cross to die for the forgiveness of our sins, it ushered in the opportunity for us to come back into an eternal relationship with God. That's why I say that, that psychology and counseling, and as good and as helpful as those things are, I see myself a little bit like a counselor. I, I, my daughter is starting a psychology degree. You know, I, I see value in it. But sometimes it gets so focused on the here and now, it doesn't take into, a, 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 into thought the broader picture of eternity. But as we're going to see today, we've got to change our minds about how we think. That if we just get caught up in the here and now, we're going to miss something bigger. Because if we take on an eternal perspective, it affects what we do in the here and now. And believe it or not, when you have an eternal perspective, it doesn't make you so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. It actually begins to change your marriage and change your parenting and change how you go to work and change how you interact. Because to get that internal perspective, 
it's going to require you to think the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at today. So Heavenly Father, I pray as we uh, come to uh, your word now, that you would be our teacher today, that you would help us to see how you want us to think the gospel, to not just know about it, to not even just study it, but to make it a part of who we are, the filter through which we see life. Because as we have a gospel-soaked identity, it will impact how we live. So, Father, I pray that you would speak clearly now to us, through me, through the scriptures, and through your spirit. So, in Jesus' name, I pray and ask for this. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible with you today, go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. As you're turning to Romans, let me just uh, remind you where we're at in this series. Last week, as we kicked off the series, we saw that the gospel is the key cornerstone of the Christian faith. And so therefore, it's not just kind of the entrance into Christianity. It's the very thing that God uses to take us all the way through to mature us. And the way I put it last week is that God wants us to get a doctorate in the gospel. And not the kind of doctorate, you know, where the honorary degree because you like spoke at someone's graduation. Not, not that kind of doctorate. No, the doctorate where you actually study for it. Like you become so, you know, in, involved in it as you study it more and more and more it starts to become a part of who you are. A- any of you have a friend who ha- watches the movie like Napoleon Dynamite or Dumb and Dumber, and they've just seen it like a hundred times? And Anyone? Okay, yeah, I see a couple of hands. Right? When you're around that person, they always seem to be quoting the movie, don't they? Like, like it, You're amazed at how many opportunities they have a chance to quote something from the film. It's because they've studied it so much that it's become just a part of who they are. Now, they think they're brilliant and hilarious. You just find them annoying. But it's still become a part of who they are. It's just how they think. I think that's what Paul is trying to get at in Romans 12. Is he wants us to have studied this gospel so much that it isn't just a bunch of knowledge that we've amassed. It becomes the way we think. If you were to begin the book of Romans all the way back in chapter 1, verse 1, you would see within the first sentence that Paul starts talking about the gospel. And he proceeds to talk about the gospel for the next 11 chapters. He just begins to explain what the gospel is, who the gospel's for, what the gospel can do. I mean, it is just on and on and on. If we were saying that, you know, we, we were supposed to get a doctorate in the gospel, then Romans is Paul's thesis on it. Like, he is saying, here's the gospel, I've studied it, it's part of me, and I want it to be a part of you, too. So, Paul knows that we have got to think the gospel. Um, and so that's what he starts, starts right off in chapter 12. Uh, start with me in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, anytime you jump into the scripture like this, kind of right in the middle, and you see the word therefore, you need to stop and ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? 
because the word therefore is trying to connect. It's a connecting what you're about to read with what was just prior. And so we have to stop and ask ourselves, well, what was just prior? Well, what was prior was Paul's defense and explanation of the gospel. He's gone on for 11 chapters. And now in chapter 12, he's starting to make this turn. And what is it that he's starting to turn towards? He's turning towards how to live out the gospel. He's wanting us to live practically. But he knows that before we can get there, he's got to start with how we think. And so he's, he's trying to get us to this place of what do we need to do? Uh, I, sorry, I got off. Um, all right, so what is it that Jesus followers need to do? They need to give themselves completely to God. They need to give all of themselves to God. You notice there he mentions worship. To the ancient Jews, their worship included sacrifice. They, they would often bring to God an animal, like a, a, a lamb, the firstborn lamb. It needed to be spotless. And this was part of their sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. Or maybe they would bring a, a grain offering. It would be like the, the first bit, like the first 10% of their harvest. They, they were to bring this. It was kind of the idea of you, got, you brought God your first and your best. But now Paul is saying that because of the gospel, in light of these mercies of God, you are not just to give God the first. You're not just to give him the best. You're to give him your all. Like you're to give him all of you, not just the first 10% of you, all of you. You are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give God all. But how do we do that? How do we begin to give God all? It starts with the mind. That's what you notice right there in verse 2. He's saying to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And to illustrate this, I've asked Luke to come join me up here. What I'm going to have is Luke stand up here in front of you. And yeah, right here's where, great. All right. And I want all of you to look at Luke. All right. He's been, he's been prepared. Okay. But I do not want you to think of Luke. All right. Look at him, but do not think of him. Try to think of something else. Whatever you do, do not think about the pink shirt he is wearing, how he's man enough to wear a pink shirt. Do not realize how much taller than me he is. Don't think about the fact that he is a triathlete who can swim and run and bike and embarrass the rest of us. Do not think about his wife, Ginny, or his four awesome kids. Don't think about any of those things. Now, how many of you actually accomplished it? Yeah, yeah, the kids, good. My, my kids are used to ignoring me, so of course they could. <laughs> Luke, thank you. The world is always trying to draw our attention to something. Constantly saying, look here, look at this, look at this. Isn't this neat? Isn't this awesome? Isn't this wonderful? This is what's right. This is what's good. And Paul is saying, no, if you constantly look at what the world's looking at, if you see it, you're listening to it, you're going to begin to consider it and even begin to adopt it, and you will be conformed into the pattern of the world. Instead, he's saying, you need to be transformed. You need to have a different way of thinking. And it's hard because it's constantly drawing our attention. But we have to think a different way. Paul even gives us an example. Look at verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. Here's Paul's example. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, we just saw back in Romans, I mean, in verse 2, that Paul was saying, do not be conformed to the ways of the world, to the way that they think. All right, so how is it that the world thinks? Well, one way is that they think of self. They're, they're constantly encouraging us to put ourselves number one. Our music is saying it all the time. The memes we see out on social media, the advice you'll get if you, if you go online and you, you put something out there, you know, I don't know what to do, and, and people would give you advice. You got to take care of you. And that's not always horrible advice, but they pump it so much. They're constantly drawing your attention to it that you stop thinking the gospel. You start think, stop thinking like Jesus. How was it that Jesus lived? Jesus lived for others. If you just look at the gospel itself, Jesus went to a cross to die for our sins. Jesus is the only human to have ever lived who did not sin. So therefore, he didn't need to die. And yet he did. It wasn't for his good. He didn't put himself number one. He put us first. He put our needs before his own. And if we are going to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived, we have to have that same mindset. Which means as the world is constantly pointing at something else, we've got to get ourselves thinking through the gospel. Because if we continue to conform to the pattern of the world, it's going to have a negative effect upon our identity, which is then going to have negative ramifications upon our families, upon our workplaces, and on and on and on. In order for us to get to the place that each of us wants to be, it's got to change how we think. That's why today I want to take you through a little tool that you'll find in the book, Gospel Fluency. If you're reading that, uh, you'll find it in chapter 9. And if you're doing the reading plan, you're going to read it this week. And so I get to introduce it to you today. Jeff Vanderstelt calls it Fruit to Root. In it, he takes you through four questions. Those four questions are basically, who is God? What has God done? So therefore, who am I? And what should I do or, or how should I feel or, or how should I think? All right. So do we have the questions up there? Yeah. So who is God? What has he done? Which is the gospel? Who am I? And what should I do, think or feel? Now, questions three and four, they make sense because it's out of your identity that you're going to end up doing things. Your deepest beliefs affect your behavior. But if you stop and think about it, you realize that questions one and two, that's also true. That everything God does is completely out of his character. All right, so, so everything he does is because he has a characteristic of love, so he's going to love. He has a characteristic of justice, so he's always going to do what's right. He just does who he is. But sometimes we find ourselves experiencing things or doing things we don't like, we don't want. We find ourselves like Jackie Wallace, homeless under a bridge. How do we get out of that pattern and get to a place where we're healthy and doing well? So what, what Jeff Vanderstelt says to do is to imagine a tree, right? So that's why we have the whiteboard up here today, right? So we've got a tree. This is a beautiful tree. Wow, that is lovely, Aaron. Good job. My dad's an artist. Don't tell him I drew that. Uh, all right, so we've got a tree. What we're going to do is question one down here is going to be the roots of that tree, okay? Those are my roots, all right? And we can put this down too. All right, so these, these are the roots, all right? The, how we think of God, all right? When we start saying, who is God? 
that's the root. When we have that in proper perspective, we start seeing good fruit in our life. But so often what happens is we start seeing some ugly fruit, some rotten fruit up here. So what we have to do is we've got to work down the tree in an honest fashion so that we can then kind of resurrect it and work through the gospel back up. So what I was going to do is I was going to ask one of you to come up here and basically just share openly, yeah, here's what I'm struggling with. And I realized that's really dangerous. Right in front of a whole large group, yeah, Aaron, you're not going to get anyone. So guess what? I get to be the guinea pig. In March of 2015, uh, Riverwood was getting ready to turn one-year-old. And you would think that would have been an exciting time. But for the first time in my life, I went through a prolonged depression. Uh, it, it was pretty bad. I uh, didn't want to talk to anyone. Uh, I didn't want to uh, see anyone. Uh, I actually locked myself in a room just so my family wouldn't bother me. Um, it, it, was, it was pretty bad. It was, it was getting pretty dark. And, uh, and what was making it hard was Riverwood was really small, and we were kind of limping along, and it seemed that about every other week, I mean, this isn't truth, this is how it felt, but it felt like every Sunday someone else would come up and say, Aaron, we're no longer going to be part of Riverwood. And it got to the point where I'm thinking, there's going to be no one left. We're going to die before we even turn one, right? So, so you have all of that going on. And then I would occasionally talk with people, and they would ask things about Riverwood. And there was one conversation in particular. I was at a conference, and I ran into a pastor who'd planted a church, I think about like 10 or 15 years before I'd started Riverwood. And it was in a community somewhat similar to Waverly. And so when I started talking to him, he's like, so, man, you're, you're getting ready to turn one, so you must be running like, what, 150 or so? And we were under 40. And when I told him that, I thought at first he was joking, because he, he's just kind of that personality. And I said, I was like, oh, no, of course not. I was like, yeah, we're, we're running like maybe 40. And all of a sudden, I could just see in his face, oh, no. He didn't say it with his words, but he said it with his eyes. Dude, you're not going to make it. And so I had all of that piling in on me. And so I was feeling sad. I was feeling like a failure. Well, that's going to go down here. We'll, we'll, uh, frustration. I was definitely frustrated. Um, and if I was honest, I was feeling really, really angry with God because he called me to plant this church. And so here I was being faithful. I'm working my butt off. I mean, I, I'm, I'm working, you know, my, I'm working my face off. And yet I just seeing no, no numerical growth. I wasn't seeing spiritual growth. I wasn't, you know, it just, people were leaving us. I mean, it was, it was hard. And I'm thinking, God, I gave everything up for this. I had a great job at a great church. My family was doing awesome. You ruined it all. And so I was angry at God. That was the fruit I was seeing. This is how I was feeling. So that gets then to question three. Who am I? Well, what I was feeling was I was feeling like a failure, right? Because I'd given my best. <laughs> my best wasn't good enough. In the eyes of other church planters, I was a failure, in the eyes of Waverly, no one wanted to be a part of my church. I was a failure. So therefore, it was over. And so now it led into, what was God doing? Well, I felt that God was unloving. I just didn't feel like he cared. And to be honest, I started to wonder if he was incapable. Was he actually going to do this? Or had he just done this to shame me 
Or was he incapable of actually growing this church? Because all sorts of other church planners, they start these churches and they explode with growth. But no, not the one that Aaron Bird starts. No. So that's how I was feeling. So now that's what I felt like God was doing. So therefore, what does that say about who I thought God was? Well, if I'm deep down honest, it just meant that God was not God. You see how by having a false understanding of who God is, deep down, you end up with the fruit that you don't want in your life. Now, unfortunately, it took me a while to get to this place. Now, I think I could uh, turn it around a little faster. But eventually, here's what took place. You get back and you start asking yourself, who is God? And suddenly, I start realizing, well, scriptures say that God is love. Because of the gospel. Who is God? He's love. How do I know? Because he sent Jesus to die on a cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And so because he loves me, he also cares for me. If I just look at the gospel, I can see the care of God. But if I had even stopped and just thought about my own life, I would see how much God cares. One story. Leanne and I were coming back from Venezuela, and we knew we were going to have to get a vehicle. And we had a little bit of money sitting in our savings, and so we were going to use that to get us a car. But when we got back to the U.S., someone said, hey, don't go buy a car yet. I think I have one for you. It turns out that she had this car. She was planning to upgrade it, and she decided rather than sell it to use that money for a car, she was going to give it to us. So she did. She gifted us a car. Well, that allowed us to not spend any money out of our bank account so that when we moved to Denver, Colorado, to work at a, uh, uh, to work at a church plant, we walked into the bank, and we basically said, yeah, all I have is a part-time job. Can we get a loan for a house? And the ladies kind of looking at us like, yeah, right, whatever. Yeah, get out of here. But she was polite. She starts typing on her computer. And all of a sudden she says, wait, you, you have a job? I was like, well, yeah, a part-time job, planning to get something else. She says, Do you, uh, have you ever bought a house before? No. She says, how much could you put down on a down payment? And we told her what we had in our bank account. She says, oh, my goodness, you guys qualify for this first-time home buyer's thing because you have that much money available to down payment. God led a girl from college to give us a car, which allowed us to not spend any money, so we had enough to qualify and be able to get a home. And would you know it, that after our three years of living in Denver, home home prices skyrocketed, and we sold that condo three years later and made $50,000 on it. Do you think God can provide? Yeah. And I could go on and on and on in our planting of Riverwood of the ways that God has provided. In my depression, I couldn't see it. But if I had stopped and really thought it through, who is God? He's a loving God who cares for me deeply. That's why we can cast our cares upon him. And now I begin to see he actually does care for me. And he actually is capable of doing what he wants to in this church. And so therefore, because God does love me, and I can look at the gospel and I see that he cares, now I see that I am no longer a failure. Oh, the other word that I was going to put up here was that I, was, I felt alone, right? I wasn't a failure because God did not call me to plant a church that would be 150 people by one year one. No, God called me to plant a church. You see, the scriptures make it very clear that some of us, we plant the seeds, we, others of us water, but it's God who caused the growth in us individually, but also, I believe, for the church. And so therefore, it was his responsibility. All he did was call me to be faithful to him and to keep going. And so I wasn't a failure because I had actually obeyed. 
And if I continued to hold on to him, we were going to be fine. Even if Riverwood didn't make it, I was going to be fine. And because of the gospel, I realized I am never alone. God has given me his Holy Spirit. I wasn't going through this on my own. I at least had one person who was for me. Even if other pastors thought I'd never make it, even if Waverly thought this was going to fail, I had one person who was with me saying, I'm with you, I got you, you're going to be fine. And so then what was the fruit? I began to see. Rather than being sadness, I began to find some contentment. Rather than being frustrated, I realized I can keep going, I can keep working. Rather than sit in my anger, I began to realize I'm loved. And suddenly it began to change. Instead of me locking myself in a bedroom, I began to interact with my family. Rather than pull away from my kids, thinking, why would my kids want to be around me? I'm a failure as a dad. I began to play with them again, interact with them, go out, have conversations. Rather than pull back from this amazing wife that God's given me, begin to enter back into the relationship. Do you see how when you start seeing fruit in your life that you're not liking, I don't like what's going on. So often it's because you've got a bad root. You're starting to get bad theology. If you'll stop and remind yourself, Who is God really? Not what I feel, but what is true. It begins to change then how you see what God has done that affects who you are and the fruit that you see in your life. And suddenly you begin to see love and joy and peace and patience and the fruit of the Spirit coming out of who you are. That's why Paul says we have to be renewed. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The world is constantly trying to point you at things that it thinks are going to be for your good, but all it's going to do is get you bad, rotten fruit. But if you continually go to the gospel, not just studying it to acquire knowledge, but to go to the gospel to think it, to allow it to be the filter through which you view life, it begins to affect the way you live and feel and think. That's what we're going to talk about more next week, is how to live the gospel? What should it look like in our life? But before we can get there, we've got to realize it starts with how we think. We need to think the gospel. So Father, I pray that you would accomplish that in each and every one of us, that you would help us to think the gospel. God, we live in a world that is trying to constantly distract us. I feel it within myself. And so this is why it is a transformative work of you and your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to see what you've done in the death, burial, and resurrection and what it means for us. I pray right now for anyone here that that, that this is just a story to them and it's not a heart thing. I pray, Father, that you would change that, that they would give their life to you and place their faith fully upon you, that this gospel would become the center of who they are and they become Jesus-centered people who would begin to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. But God, many of us in this room, we confess we are not living naturally, daily, every moment in a Christ-like way. There are so many moments where we still live for self. We either think way too high of ourselves or we are thinking way too low of ourselves. You want us to think of ourselves with sober judgment, to view ourselves the way you view us. So God, I pray that you would transform us, that you would renew our minds pray for the person here who does not know you, that you would renew their mind right now by helping them see the gospel is true. And they right now are confessing their sin to you and they are crossing that line of faith and they're making you the center of who they are. And for those that have already made a step like that, that right now you continue to draw them deeper and, and they're realizing that they need this gospel, not just to get into your kingdom, but to continue through your kingdom, that you are not done with them. 
you want to continue to mold and shape them back into that image of Jesus. You want to restore that. Because what this world desperately needs are people who will go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And you're calling us to that. But we can't do it without that eternal perspective. We can't do it without thinking the gospel. So God, we pray that you change what we believe. We know some, so many things in our head, and yet it hasn't gotten down to the root. So God, I pray that you just continue to transform our understanding of who you are and what you've done. And as you do so, that we would see you bring beautiful fruit out of our lives. Because we think that our greatest joy is found in you. Each and every one of us longs for this, God. So I pray, Father, that you would accomplish this for your glory. Because I think it's also for our joy. So God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the power of the gospel, you would transform our minds. You would help us to think the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.